Hello, and we're here today with the curator of the new RMIT gallery exhibition, Shane Hulbert. Shane is a photographer. He's uh, in charge of the uh, photographic school at RMIT, and he has put together what is an incredible overview of 130 years of photography at RMIT. Now, this is an amazing visual exhibition, and so what we're going to ask him is to choose a selection of images that he feels might sum up some aspects, different aspects of the exhibition. So welcome Shane here today. Thank you, hello. Hi. So which one would you like to start off with? Which photograph are we going to talk about first? So the premise behind the exhibition is that RMIT has been teaching photography now for 130 years and during that time it's made a significant impact on the way that people have viewed Melbourne and photographed Melbourne and the way that they have worked with photography around the world. So I thought we would start here today with a photograph from the very first tutor of photography back in 1887, Levitico Hart, and his image of the Victorian Fine Art Gallery down at uh, the National Gallery, what is now the National Gallery of Victoria. And the way that he has used photography to image various parts of Melbourne and in particular the way that he sees the things that are important and the things that are worth preserving. And of course, looking at this particular image, there's a whole range of different paintings and sculptures and artworks that he has seen as being something to record and to be something that is worth preserving in the history of Melbourne and its relationship to art and creativity. Now, I guess one of the first things I think is these days with photography, everyone has a smartphone of some sort, I would say just about. Um, they're used to taking selfies, they're used to just taking snaps and pictures. What is the difference between, say, for instance, deciding to compose and take a photograph like this and just grabbing your iPhone or smartphone and, uh, and snapping, say, a skateboarder in the street? Hmm, yeah. Look, that, that's, a, that's a great question. One of the one of the things that we talk about in photography is the way that we see and frame the world, but also what sits behind the lens is the person that takes that photograph. And so what they end up doing is composing, framing the world that they see. And the idea behind someone who's trained in photography is that they have a sense of the language and the understanding of the way that the photographic medium is capable of telling those stories and is capable of highlighting particular elements of a frame or composing a particular narrative through that single frame. That's not to say that uh, a selfie or a, or a photograph of a guy skateboarding down the street is not a good photograph uh, and people can certainly see and respond through photography in a whole variety of different ways but the, the skilled training that uh, RMIT is known for and that the photography department through that 130 years has been dealing with is very much about how do you take photography to a level that engages with that language and that understanding of the medium and can create compelling and interesting photographs of not just the thing that's in front of the frame but of course the way that the photographer sees the world. Uh, there's a wonderful quote from a um, an American photographer, Stephen Shaw, where he talks about the difference between a painter and a photographer. And a, and a photographer creates something from the messiness of the world and they compose and construct images and frames through the things that they see. Hmm. What I find really fascinating about this image that you have um, in front of us now is the way the light takes you on a journey throughout that image. So it's not flat light. It's almost like I'm looking at perhaps a, um, a landscape portrait with, with, a, with a pathway of light. Um, and, and also the way that um, um, Hart has placed or positioned himself so that um, the, you know, there are different layers of, um, I guess, um, images within that single image. Can you talk about that sure. construction of that? Yeah, so light is obviously one of the most one of the principal sources of how photography is constructed. Uh, and this image is shot with natural light. We can see all the, the light coming through the windows. You can see that one half of the room is darker than the other half of the room. There are, there are various aspects of the way that, that Hart's done this. Uh, 
there would have been some manipulation in the dark room when he's uh, made this print where he, during the course of that exposure in the enlarger, he would have blocked out light from certain parts of the frame to create that dimensionality and that depth that we can see through here. And of course, there's the whiteness of those statues as they're sort of scattered through that frame and the depth that we get from sort of staring down a corridor that he's emphasised and positioned, not, not manually moved, but positioned through the, that use of light. So it's quite a compelling uh, image in that sense, and it's, it's a way of, of stretching out that frame, and it's a way of positioning the viewer as someone who is able to uh, imagine themselves there and imagine what it is that they're seeing through that photographic image. And of course, in the late, uh, the late 19th century, uh, that relationship to photography was very new and so people were not necessarily accustomed to or, or acclimatised to seeing the world through photographic images in the way that we are today. And so the way that a photographer would deal with that back in, in that time it would be slightly different to the way someone might be doing, dealing with it today. And the expectation of himself as the operator, uh, the devices and the... the the composition there as, as the subject and then the way that the viewer would engage with that or interact with those images as well. Mm. And is that it's sort of a brownish tint? Is that a sepia photograph or is that just the a black and white and that's sort of... I imagine it's a combination of different chemicals being used, but if you look at the speckling around the paper as well, it's age. It's age. It's, it's just age. All right. We all age, and 150 <laughs> years is a long time. Well, it's um, it's still a very compelling and uh, beautifully composed mm. image. Mm. And um, okay, so we have uh, we now go to another black and white image, and. Um, I am immediately drawn as a woman mm. to the women in this photograph um, and um, who are not bystanders, who are engaging in photography. So can you tell me something about this? Look, it's quite ironic. Ironic? Slightly more ironic? No, it's ironic that, uh, that, the, that RMIT began as a you know, working men's college uh, and photography was one of the foundation disciplines back in 1887 and, of course, women were welcome to enrol in those classes and not just photography classes but any of the classes that were offered at the university. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting historical document to suggest that uh, women were, were also uh, photographers and that they were, they were being trained in all aspects of photography in exactly the same way that the men were. And in this particular image, there's not a couple of women, there's, there's multiple women here uh, who look like they form probably almost a third of the class. So... It's an interesting. It's an interesting document. Uh, it's an outside work, so they're using large format cameras, uh, which are very heavy and very technical to operate. Uh, and back in that time, that would have been a that's a nineteenth century photograph, so that would have been in the first decade of, of RMIT teaching photography. Uh, and there, you know, the photography at that time, you weren't able to go down the street and buy film. You weren't able to to go and buy a camera. These things had to be constructed. They were, you purchased lenses, you purchased tripods. These are surveyor tripods there. You purchased um, all of that material and then the glass plates that you would be using to put the, the chemicals on, to coat the plate, to make the exposure, to then process those plates and then make those prints. Uh, it's laborious and it's very skillful and it's, uh, it relies on knowledge of optics, mechanics and chemistry uh, so it's a really interesting photograph and a really interesting historical document of the way that photography was begun at the university uh, and its democratic uh, process through which people were able to, to learn photography. Mm, absolutely fascinating, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, uh, and very empowering and inspiring as well. Mm, mm. Mm. Terrific. And we have another woman here, and um, I, I know this from uh, my own um, early art studies, which is uh, back in the days where they had things mm. like dark rooms. That's right. <laughs> so, and, and that um, that smell of the um, of the of the chemicals. So, tell us a bit about this. And this, in itself, of course, I think is a very beautiful image as well, because it's it's got a lot more movement in than the earlier mm. ones. Mm. It is, and this is this is probably in the uh, the, the middle of the middle of the 20th century, this would be around 1940, 19, 
1960. Uh, and it's it's a um, it's a process image. It's part of the archive. It's in the show because it show, it demonstrates uh, the way that photography was taught and the way that that people were engaging with photography, which is very different to the way that we do it now. Uh, and it's a wonderful example of how photography has evolved over the years. But again, it just reinforces that uh, the way that RMIT was teaching photography was very much a practical hands-on experience, definitely hands-on here, mm-hmm. uh, about not just the content of the photograph, but also the process involved in making those photographic images. Mm. The um, I was just thinking one of the things too is that the black is so intense there as well. Yes. Well, it, well, it's a dark room. It's a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> it's black. It uh, is. It it's is. a staged image, though. Of course, mm, the, yes. the the print is already well and truly processed mm. and, and most likely sitting in a water bath there. Uh, but yes, it's it's um, we often think about photography being that dichotomy between spending the time in the light, seeing the world and photographing, certainly back then, and then spending hours and hours in a room devoid of light, uh, working in the dark, so to speak, to make those images, to reproduce those images and to make them come alive in the same way that they were when the photographer was seeing and photographing them. Mm. It's, a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful dichotomy between the way that photography was seen and made. I think it's, it's a... And it's not often that you see images like this anymore of people making photographs in a dark room. No, and I'm thinking that um, for people who've never had that experience of being in a dark room and making photographs like that, uh, yeah. this, this image um, is something that, of course, they will have seen in movies of, at some point. That yes. magic that happens yes. when suddenly um, in, in the, the bath of chemicals an image appears on a piece of paper. That's right. And it's, uh, I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I grew up with photography in a dark room and... Uh, I had a funny experience a number of years ago in a class where I was talking about the the relegation of darkroom photography into some sort of hobby paradigm, and that you know students need to learn contemporary technology and contemporary materials in order to be able to to, to work. But I realised halfway through that little speech that that actually my entire sensibility of photography comes from working in a darkroom, and and. So I have the luxury of being able to translate that experience into working with contemporary technology, um, which means that I see everything the way that I work photographically um, through that experience of dark and light. I even have a studio with very min- minimal lighting in it, and when I'm working on a screen, all the lights are off. You know, it's um, I can't help myself, but I need to work in a dark room to to make photo- to make <laughs> photographs. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so another um, historic image, although this is probably, would you say, the 40s or the 50s? Uh, that kind of looks a similar vintage, maybe yes. in the maybe 50s, 50s, 60s. Okay. Um, um, we're again, starting to see portable devices that's now. Right. That's right, that's, yeah. that's, that's good. So we've, we've gone from the very cumbersome outdoor image to mm. being outdoors with a... Um, you know, well, you can hold them by hand. That's right. Um, yes. Obviously, they're yeah. well, maybe the size of a big phone these days. <laughs> uh, yes, and a yes. couple of fairly significant mm. technological advances allowed that to happen. Mm. The the um, the miniaturisation of devices that began uh, in the forties that led to uh, computers and, and um, microchips, but mm-hmm. certainly not here. Uh, and of course, the speed of the film meant that uh, you were able to hold a camera by hand and photograph something with a duration of a fraction of a second rather than multiple seconds, which meant that if you could hold your hand steady enough, which is not difficult, uh, you were able to capture a still image um, without the use of a support. So there's one tripod in here and there's the instructor um, you know, giving some instructions, pointing at something, uh, and then the class are all holding onto their own cameras and, and photographing them in different ways. It's interesting because you can see in here uh, two or three different ways of, of composing and viewing an image. Uh, the, uh, the man on the far uh, right is using what looks like a twin lens camera. So he's looking down onto the viewfinder and through the camera out into the world. And so his experience of framing is very much about looking onto the device rather than through the device, which is the the woman kneeling down next to him that's looking through the viewfinder. Um, it's a very different experience of the way that you might see something. And then the third woman along looking through the tripod, 
that's another, again, that's a very different way of composing. She no longer has that freedom of movement to be able to very quickly change her direction or change her relationship to the subject like the other photographers do. And so you can see just in that one frame, three very different ways of, of dealing with cameras and, and seeing the things that you're trying to photograph. Mm. It's an interesting image and it, it's, um, you know, it's certainly as a, as a part of the university's archive, um, it, it's quite compelling in the way that it demonstrates that progression of photography and the way that the university was always working at that point in photography. Yes, it's uh, it always the, the, the technological, um, you know, as well as, um, yes, the art. Yep. One of the other things, uh, of course, again, we have almost an equal number of women, I think, in, yes, if not more. if not more. If not more. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's been a, a through line, hasn't it, this sort of um, equality in this uh, area? It has. In, in the way it's taught at RMIT. Yes, and it, and it still plays out today. Um, you know, we still have uh, very much uh, an even mix, if not probably more women. Uh, depends on the year, of course. Sometimes it swings a bit, but I think um, right from the very beginning, it's, it seems to be a, a, a quite an even balance. Um, and it's one of the wonderful things about photography is that uh, it doesn't have, um, because it's such a new, because it's such a new new art form, uh, it doesn't have that legacy of um, the hero artist, the male, the sculptor, the the, the, the strength and the, the dexterity required to or the, even just the opportunities weren't there. So uh, it, it, it's part of photography's legacy, it's part of its history that it was very democratic right from the beginnings. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, so this is a leap forward, 20, 20, jump in time. 20, 20 years, <laughs> we've jumped 20 years. Oh, it's here. only 20 years. Uh, the last one was the 60s, this is the 80s. Okay, 1980s, yeah. okay. Yeah. So this is a Melbourne image, is it? Or? This is the... Uh, this is uh, Les Walkling's image, the site of his last embrace. This is the uh, construction of the freeway that ran in, that ran along the um, South Bank end of Melbourne towards the Westgate Bridge. Mm. Yeah, and this, these are the these are the pillars that held the road before the road was was built. Okay, so in in some ways, it's it's eerily science fictiony uh, for some reason yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also strangely evocative of Melbourne I don't know why but it is, <laughs> it is. And it's a it's a uh, it's a powerful image and it's a it's a very emotional image not the least of which uh, when we apply the, the, the title of the image mm. um, and that sense of loss and memory that we attach with ideas around a last embrace uh, but it also speaks of that very um, that very postmodern paradigm of, of as we move into the as we move into a an unseen future. You know, yes, that, that's it. That we don't have a we we can make assumptions and predictions on, but but there is still that that sense of well, maybe the past was better, but we don't know until we get there. It is a very powerful image that you've mm -hmm. chosen there, and one of the things too is um, I'm immediately wanting to ask you about. The, the process, the technique of this, because if it's the 80s, then it's it's pre-digital, so we're, we're looking at film. We're still looking at film, mm -hmm. yes. How has, yeah. um, how has the uh, photographer, the artist, captured that strange, I don't know, it's not crisp, it's um, sort of almost, I don't know, not quite sepia, how would you describe mm. it? So, so um, this would have been shot on uh, either 4, 5 or 8 by 10 inch film, mm -hmm. so very big piece of film. Uh, it would have been shot on a technical view camera which allows the perspective to be controlled the way it is so that that pillar at the front that monolith that is sort of reminiscent of um the monolith in 2001 a space odyssey almost you know it has such a it has such an incredible weight uh in that frame and such a such a strong presence and then as those pillars recede into the distance uh their relationship to the first monolith is challenged by not only their scale and their distance, but also the the um, receding sharpness that you get from uh, a critical focal point, which is the front one here, uh, and as that recedes back, and they're not they're not out of focus, and they're not um, they don't have that that effect, but uh, they do have a 
they do have a receding relationship to that first pillar. It's quite in, in the shadow and the, the, the framing and the way that that's been constructed, and that none of the none of the pillars are overlapping any of the others. They're all standing there individually. That's a perspective and a visual control that the photographer has employed, uh, and not by accident. These are not these are not chance framing occurrences. These are very much decisions that are being made at the time, seeing that image. Uh, and the photographer's relationship to that place and his intention in creating an image with such evocative emotional uh, power um, and referencing humanity, but there not being any humans in the frame. It's interesting too that this in some ways references uh, uh, the heart's image that you showed us earlier. Right, yes. um, and I guess that's a choice as a curator when you're going through all those images that you make of having images speak to each other perhaps through time yes, and yes. in terms of different techniques or... It's the real fun part. You know? <laughs> it's the bit I enjoy the most. I, you know, as a photographer, uh, you, know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about, um, about the value of curation, uh, not the least of which is when, when the curator is also a practitioner. Um, and so the sorts of things that I look for are very much aligned with, I guess, the way my own sensibility and the way that I photograph as well, but also, you know, putting through those threads and those connections. Uh, 130 years is a long time. Uh, it's several generations. And so to be able to to be able to plot that through uh, some, a show like this is a really wonderful experience. And it, it um, you know, definitely you ask questions of yourself and, you know, am I making the right call here? Uh, but I think intuition plays a big part in this and um, you just know when something works. Mm. And um, I guess, you know, one of the things is you would have looked through thousands of images mm. to actually narrow it down. I did. I asked people to send me through uh, a selection of images. I looked at a lot of websites. Um, some websites were much easier to navigate than others. Uh, word to the wise, I guess. Um, and so the selection of images... I must have looked at yeah many many hundreds, if not more than a thousand, to be able to make this selection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but also, um, also the choice of photographer and artist was important in being able to tell the story that we're trying to tell here uh, about that legacy and that impact of photography in a in a place like Melbourne and how that plays out over time. Yes, mm-hmm. because of course um, this image that you're showing us now is a very place and time in Melbourne as well as Absolutely. all the other things yes. it can talk about. That's right. So um, that's one of the themes in the exhibition, isn't it? Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's um, I mean, RMIT is in Melbourne and it's had an impact on the way that photography, definitely had a huge impact on the way that photography has been taught in Melbourne, some periods more than others. And it's part of that I guess it's almost like a rotating life cycle of we're photographing Melbourne as students and then some of those students come back as teachers or as staff and then they bring a different sensibility with them that then informs the next generation of students. And so that relationship to the institution, it doesn't just, it extends beyond Melbourne, but there is that relationship to the institution that uh, the multi-generational perspective of that that has a really interesting or can unfold a really interesting story in this show. Mm. Okay, what photo have you got for us next? Next. Okay, this is, uh, we have entered the colour world. We have indeed, yes. This this speaks to another theme that you were talking to me about, which is, I mean, the exhibition does cover art, science, commercial advertising, discovery, photojournalism and entertainment, Mm. because they're they're the different um, areas that uh, you spoke about as being what was taught at what is taught at RMIT in photography and this is I would hazard a guess is advertising <laughs> this is an advertorial photograph uh, yes it's, it's a it's a really interesting image uh, we moved into colour not at this particular point not necessarily because that was when colour was around colour had been around f- for a long time before this and it has a, a very different uh, way of of telling a story um and humour is also plays a big part in this, of course. And um, 
And so Stuart Crossett had did a, a series for the AFL on um, different uh, football motives. And so this, of course, is Richmond. Uh, and he's in a supermarket buying cat food, which is you know, slightly humorous, of course. <laughs> uh, but RMIT had a, uh, has a, an interesting, uh, and the kindred institutions that are attached to this exhibition, uh, have interesting time periods where they, through the staff that work there and the students that are attracted uh, to the institution, are able to really promote uh, different types of photography in, in amazing ways. And so in the 80s and 90s, RMIT had a, a global reputation uh, for commercial professional photography that was really unsurpassed anywhere else in the world. And the, 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 number, of, um, the number of students that graduated during that time period is a very important part of the narrative. And so in selecting photographers for that particular part of the show, uh, it was, it was a, you know, I tried to sort of I tried to encompass a, a broad scope of different ways that photographers uh, worked and how their training at RMIT prepared them and enabled them to do that. Uh, and so location photography, uh, editorial photography, advertising photography, telling very simple stories through, through icons and motifs that we see in this image. Um, it really shifts that idea that somehow photography... Is only even in that professional realm is only kind of a technical achievement when in actual fact it's it's still highly creative and 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 um, you know to come up with images like this and to tell stories like this are, is really empowering and you know we can see a little bit of a uh, an ongoing uh, motif about depth in these images you know the first up the first image the the one we just looked at then, uh, and this image as well, uh, they do they do highlight that ability for photography to to sort of extend itself right through that frame, and the perspective and depth control in something like this is really quite impressive. Um, but yes, it's a wonderful, wonderfully humorous, iconic uh, image. I'm not really a football fan myself, but I did grow up sort of following Richmond, so I had, kind of had to choose that one. <laughs> and uh, this this really, um, it, it speaks to the very first image, of course, Hart's image. That's right. I'm thinking of even the light placement is very, um, very evocative of the, the light, um, the highlighted um, clerestory windows. That's right, yes. yes. Um, yeah. and, uh, and also, as you said, the depth as, as we're thinking of um, uh, Les Walkling's Love Safe, right. His Last yes. Embrace. So yeah. yes, very much. And the value of consumption is also a really interesting part of uh, the way that photography can tell stories. And uh, you know, when you you look at a frame of something, and um, the photographer makes choices, they make decisions about what they put where and how they relate different subjects together, and that that forms part of the part of the story that you can that you can sort of get from a single framed image. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. okay. All right. So we've now jumped to almost fashion magazines. So. Yeah, we're still sort of in the same realm of photographers trained during that period. Mm. Uh, and this is Daniela Federici, who uh, uh, now operates out of New York uh, and who has been photographing uh, famous models and, and um, through advertising and editorial photography for a number of years. Uh, this here is, of course, Heidi Klum, the uh, international supermodel. Uh, and so we have, uh, it's a slightly evocative image, I guess. It's, it's very much about um, the object itself being the, the necklace and the glass and, and her, her, her uh, identity in relation to that as uh, someone who, you know, when you put a famous name to a, a brand, when you put a famous face to a brand, it, it has a suggestion of endorsement, uh, of course, and photographs like this have a really important role to play in the way that RMIT photography has made that contribution around the world through the training of photographers that uh, they might have trained here and, and some of them came from, some of the international photographers came from overseas to train specifically at RMIT, but also went out uh, and, and made lasting impressions in the way that they, they understand photography and the way that they work with photography. Mm. Yeah, it's a wonderful image. It is, and um, the, you can see a lot of, um, I guess, 
the creative intelligence behind this. I mean, it references film noir uh, very course, strongly. Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, this is an image captured by someone who's been um, with a vocabulary, I guess, a visual vocabulary of... Uh, That's of right. Film. And, and um, through that through that learning experience and through their own uh, relationship and response to the way that they've been taught, uh, photographers do develop styles and, and, and individual identities that, um, if they're good at it, and these people certainly are, that becomes part of who they are as a photographer and it becomes part of why they get the jobs that they get because they they have that capacity of tapping into style and, and um, you know, Heidi, uh, Heidi Klum here does have that film noir aesthetic to it and, and the other images in the show from Daniela, you can definitely get that sense of, of the lighting and the style and the depth and the, the drama and the tension that, that she creates uh, in these images. And it's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting way that photographers sort of engage with the medium and the way that they use they use their own language and their own style to, to photograph the things that they do. Wow. Science. Uh, science. I was about to say, we've got yeah. a Bunsen burner. <laughs> sure do. And yeah. flame. This must be science. Back to black and white again. Uh, it's probably a limitation of the, of the equipment that's being used um, to be able to photograph uh, heat mm-hmm. is an infrared. Okay. Uh, an infrared capacity. So this is... Um, this is, you know, this has been an infrared image. Uh, but science is an interesting one. Uh, it ran for many years parallel to other disciplines of photography at RMIT, the art and the, and the, and the journalism and the commercial professional photography. And science is really has an interesting story to play out in that, in that history because it operated in various capacities through the departments in the university, but also... Scientific photography has this wonderful uh, way of of uh, allowing us to see the unseen world, you know. And most photography can do that simply with that the, the capturing of time and that 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 moment that is firmly recorded on film forever, or, or or through light and digital technology. And using fast shutter speeds allows us to do things like stop bullets or, or photograph someone jumping in the middle of, of, of the beach uh, on a hill. It allows us to uh, photograph things that we can still see, just that's not how we see them. We see, we see movement through the world. And so photography's ability to stop time has been there right from the beginning. But scientific photography extends that through scale and through uh, things that are seen but unseen. And so using different... Using different films, using different types of cameras, using different types of lighting, uh, scientific photographers are able to to uh, capture things that um, we simply do not see. And so, something as simple as heating up a fry pan over the top of a flame seems like a rather arbitrary thing to want to photograph. But when you photograph it like this, you see a different way of how those flames and that heat you know, um, do what they do to that fry pan. So it has that element of inquiry and it can answer questions. Photography can most definitely answer questions that sometimes we don't even know whether we're asking. Yes. And likewise with this one, um, uh, this is a, a macroscopic, a microscopic image of, of something that we would not normally see. Yeah, um, Incredible. I mean, the natural is. world is just, um, it's almost like we could never conceive of no. <laughs> things so perfect. No. I mean, it looks like a, um, a prop out of Star Wars, like the Death Star or, or something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> but is it maybe a sponge or I'm not sure. It's a radiolara, sure. so it's, it's a microscopic bit of um, dust or... Oh, right, dust. Or, or, wow. or not dust. I, uh, mm. I don't quite have the... Oh, okay. The uh, scientific vocabulary no, for it, perfect. but it's, it's really a, quite uh, it's profound. Actually, it is. Yeah. yeah, and when we when we look at some of the works that that we see in the show, there's a lot of poetics, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of inquiry, uh, there's a lot of uh, ways of responding to the world that people that we live in, 
uh, in unique and empowering ways. And, and I think the scientific photographs in the show most definitely do that. They really, uh, they really speak of, a, of, of something that we're so not used to seeing. And I think that's really empowering. It is, important. and it, as, as with the fry pan, it's making mm. the ordinary extraordinary. That's right. Um, yeah. And also, it seems just so technically complicated. Um, is, this, is this simply about chemicals and, and lenses and, and light? It's about lenses. It's yeah. about lenses and light. Okay. And, uh, you know, this is a, a microscope with uh, 1,700 times magnification. It's a particular type of scientific uh, microscope, uh, which is then has a camera attached to it. Um, and so if you can imagine something like this, it, it's uh, even, at, even uh, and this is not printed at, at, a, at any sort of scale, but at a one-to-one -one scale, it, it, what, you, what you see is uh, seven, 1,700 times bigger than what it actually is. You know, and that's um, that's just something that we're not used to seeing. You know, forget mm. about time, forget about motion. Yes. You know, you put scale into that, and you've got a whole new language and yes. a whole new conversation with the world that we're just not used to having. No, you know. it's like we only exist on one plane. And, <laughs> it's uh, very, one, very one dimensional, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? And then, yeah. and yet, there are things that are happening literally everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, that yeah. have another world yeah. to them. And that microscopic world is is. Um, it's not something that is that we've been seeing for a long time. It's it's a relatively new uh, it's a relatively new way of seeing. It's only in the only from the age of enlightenment that we had telescopes and microscopes that we could see things, and now we're getting down to the realm of of, of nanoscopic photography, which is not even seeing; it's feeling. You know, it's quite an amazing quite an amazing way of imaging the world. It's it's really yeah we couldn't couldn't not have images like this in the show it's it's incredible mm. uh, okay. okay so um this we're entering the realm of art photography i guess yeah Did this is this, this is uh this this is yeah someone who's been trained in fine art photography claire, claire ray definitely trained in oh, i know she's our daughter <laughs> <laughs> partly i uh, can't take all the credit of course um uh yeah so claire's um claire has approached photography from a perspective where it's about realizing an idea it's not even it's not even necessarily about how we see something it's not necessarily about telling a story that already exists it's a it's an idea around um, uh, something that she'd been exploring for a long time to do with um, femininity the feminist theories uh, gays and balance and you know climbing the walls out of frustration you know these are the sorts of things mm. that that begun an emotional response to things that she'd been reading about and exploring and investigating in quite a lot of depth uh, and then coming up with okay if this is if this is what I want to make work about how then do I use photography to do that and so she then uh, solved some of those kind of inquisitive questions by experimenting with different framing devices, with different motion, with different uh, ways of inserting herself into the frame, uh, trying it with other people, and then coming up with a series or, or a body of work, uh, several of which are in this show, uh, that emphasised the way that she'd come to that discovery and made that realisation. And so for work like this, uh, it's a type of photography where where photography is used to express an idea, uh, and in some cases they're constructed ideas, uh, rather than trying to essentially find that representation in the world that we engage with every day, uh, they're constructed narratives. They're, they're things that have been have come from people's ideas. Mm -hmm. Is this um, digitally shot, or is this, do you think, on film? Uh, I think this is on film. It's a square. Oh, so right. it's mm. so it's shot on a Hasselblad. I, okay. I'm not sure, but mm. I think from memory uh, that she was using film for these. Um, and that's a that's a conscious choice because this, these are recent. I mean, this is well and truly in the, yeah. the age of the, the you know digital saturation. I guess that's right. That's right. And I think um, photographers have um, preferences for different. Devices, uh, they have, they make aesthetic judgments on 
things as simple as whether they prefer noise uh, from film grain or whether uh, they prefer noise from sensor sensor amplification uh, or even simply I just like using that camera you know I prefer that camera it happens to shoot film okay um, Claire is also a very uh, very capable very competent digital um, operator uh, so I think she's made some some choices here about what sort of camera she wants to use and how she mm. wants to engage with that technology but yeah it's a it's a um it's a very interesting image and it's uh you know definitely the photographing of the self or the inserting inserting yourself into into images is a um is a wonderful way of, of exploring some of those themes and concepts that she was using yes i mean simply you know woman on tilted chair propping herself up yeah and that balance yeah. unease you know it, right. it does you're right it, it, yeah. it captures so many ideas yeah it's her but it doesn't have to be her mm. you know you can't see her face it's, it's a it's a it's representative as well as situational yes yeah. wonderful image uh, okay this is uh this is form forms a, a, a uh, been working in the in the sort of the identity space, uh, in particular the Vietnamese uh, cultural identity in Australia. He's uh, he had a wonderful body of work before this one called My Father, the People Smuggler, uh, and he his father uh, supported and helped uh, smuggle you know many many people out of Vietnam after the war into Australia, and was uh, it was and still is seen as a as, as somewhat of a hero of his community, which is very different from the from the political narrative of, of now. But um, Fung's using a combination of uh, photography and video here as well, uh, by way of exploring different um, different ways of telling stories. And again, um, it's a very simple device. Fung's come up with a story that he wants to tell, uh, and it's uh, a video of someone folding a Vietnamese note. Uh, into different objects, different shapes. Immediately mm. when I see this, I it, it almost like a storyboard for me. I, mm. I, I'm wondering mm. what the next, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do we see? Does the, yeah. the note get passed on? There's some exchange, you know. There's there's a whole backstory that just yes. from a very simple image. That's right. Yes, yeah. seems to come through. Yeah, and that's the wonderful thing about narrative is that it doesn't matter where you start it. There's always something that comes before it, and there's always something that comes after it, and whether it's through video or whether it's through a single frame, those questions always become asked and, and often unanswerable, uh, other than through your own uh, through your own understanding or your own assumptions. Yes, and I guess um, and our own cultural, I guess, training in a sense. Absolutely, yes. You know? yeah. um, very important. Very important. We we're used to seeing, I guess, in comics or you know, in, in film that what is the next thing that happens visually. Yes. That's right, yes. Mm. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you, you have to come and see them. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they quite, they're quite, I mean, Fung's a very powerful change. artist and, yes. and um, he uses these devices uh, really intentionally and, and he doesn't enter into these debates lightly. He, uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable about the, the complexity of the issues that he's dealing with. Uh, and he uses his own cultural identity uh, as a means through which to tell those stories uh, without necessarily um, passing judgment on on anyone really uh, you know but but they're they're powerful and they're they're iconic in the way that he uses different devices to tell those you know. absolutely the I other work in the show yeah. is simply to call domino theory and it's uh, it's just photographs of himself holding up different images of different communist dictators throughout time uh, set on the table in the shape of, of dominoes, you know, which of course mm. is the is is it was the fear factor in the sixties around That's communism, right. yeah, and certainly the, certainly the reason for the Vietnamese War, partly. Yes, very mm. interesting. Yes. Okay, um, um, we appear to be in the realm of. Fine art again, or it could be commercial. I oh, mean, well, this some... is Christian Thompson, who's mm. an Indian and oh, and artist, yes. and cultural and yes. self-identity and uh, gaze and viewer identity. Uh, wonderful title, the devil made him do it. Um, <laughs> you know, these are these are again uh, really complex issues around contemporary culture and 
some of the photographers and artists in the show use use photography as a way of exploring these issues and as a way of attempting to, I guess, provide some kind of um, anecdote or not necessarily an answer, but as a, a way of a way of explaining how some of these things have played out and. Um, you know, contemporary contemporary culture is incredibly complex, and we see time and time again uh, uh, through the media and through politics this this attempt to try and simplify these incredibly complex um, scenarios that we are in. Uh, and cultural identity is, you know, pretty close to the top of that, if not the top of that list. You know, three hundred years of colonialism. Uh, Australia and you know the debates around Australia Day, uh, all of these things uh, form a personal narrative through which uh, artists and photographers in the show uh, explore different ways of dealing with these things. It's a, you know, and again these these sort of these self portraits, the, the they're iconic and they're really powerful because uh, it's not just. You know that person is not the per- not just the person behind the lens making these images, but they're also in front of the lens. They're the person being photographed. So, you know, these are really interesting. They're really interesting debates that come out through through some of these images. And I'm thinking too, as you're showing me these this selection of images, the through line of the, the curator's eye, because again, I'm drawn to heart and the mm-hmm. the, the busts in the the That's museum. Right. Yes. Um, this the way the he- the head is tilted, the way we only see the shoulders of mm-hmm. uh, of, of the person in this portrait, yep. that evokes the sense of of the bust. You know, the sort of mm-hmm. image in the museum again um, as that sort of cultural reference, but also with um, the the image of Heidi Klum, again, the That's same right. tilting of the head, yes. that when I immediately yeah. said sort of commercially, it, is, it, has, it has so many different resonances mm. in it and plays on those things. It does, and I think that's part of the, part of the pleasure in, being, in having opportunities to put on shows like this is, is just how much of that becomes, uh, you know, a sort of a, you know, like there's five or six stories, but maybe there's 10, maybe there's more, you know, and it, it depends on how, you know, how, how people want to sort of experience the show and, and how they want to sort of walk through it. But it, it's no accident that, that those threads sort of situate themselves throughout the show. And that's not necessarily uh, entirely a curatorial decision. It's, it's also a photographic one. It's it's the things that have been photographed. It's people. It's places. It's events and stories. You know, and and the world that we can't see. These are photography started in a very powerful position because it was able to do these things in ways that uh, other forms of art had not been able to do, and, and still don't have that capacity to do it because of photography's relationship to recording things that are there. You know, even with digital imaging. Um, there is the, there's the wonderful William Mitchell paradigm about the horse. You know, you can paint any horse. You can paint a horse from memory. You can paint no horse in particular, but you cannot photograph no horse in particular. In order to photograph a horse, that horse has to be there. You don't have to represent, you know, black caviar as being the horse that you've photographed. You can it, the horse can be representative of something else, but that horse has to exist in order to photograph it. And it's you know it's the thing it, it is the thing that underpins photography. You know, even in even in days of digital imaging, and we'll have a look at one last image in relationship to that. Um, even with manipulating born digital images, uh, it's not that that manipulative capability was only a digital thing. People have been manipulating photographic images from you know basically the 1840s, you know, and ghost photography and all sorts, you know, uh, montage photography, all sorts of different ways of dealing with photography. But at the end of the day, in order for something to be, uh, to, to be attached to that moniker of, of, uh, moniker of photography, um, there's a lens and, and there's, there's light. Um, and if we look at the last image by Lisa Say, this, this is the, uh, this is from her series Anonymous Man, which won the uh, Australian Institute of Professional Photography Award uh, 
Photographer of the Year award in 2016 rather contentiously and with a little bit of controversy. I can imagine because mm. to me I immediately think graphic art or, or painting or well, anything. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and when you talk to Lisa about these images, she's quite emphatic that everything in here was photographed. Mm. I mean, it's highly digital and, and it's, yes. it's obviously digitally manipulated because it's imaging a, a world that does not exist and it's... It, it, it's um, its construction of, of the, the anonymous man in all of these different locations, as well as the different iconography and the different constructed environments that she's created, uh, they've all come from somewhere. You know, they are still they are still light recorded on a digital sensor and then manipulated in uh, through Photoshop. This is fascinating. Mm. There's something you said to me earlier about not everyone who studies photography ends up being a photographer perhaps at RMIT. That's right. That's from right. RMIT. Yes. Yes. Um, but has that sensibility that they can Yeah, so I think I think that the, the one of the things that makes art school so relevant in a contemporary uh, in a contemporary society uh, is that we train people to see the world through art. Doesn't mean that they will spend the rest of their lives being an artist. Uh, we have s several people in the show, um, in particular Heidi Victoria, the, the local MP, um, ironically out near where I live, but also previous under the previous government, the Minister for the Arts. Uh, she studied photography under Henry Talbot, of all people, back in um, back in the eighties, and uh, you know she still photographs, and the image that we're showing in the exhibition is a relatively recent image. Um, but she doesn't. Um, she doesn't sort of operate exclusively in that in that environment. She's a politician, um, but she sees the world through someone who's been trained in art and in composition and light and reflection, observation, inquiry, reason. All of those things that photographers apply, uh, she was trained to do, and and the same thing applies to many many graduates. They they take those skills and they transfer them to something else, you know, and it's it's wonderful. We, we love it when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> and they've been doing that for 130, 130 years. years. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much, Shane.